Amen. Amen. Grace, you may be seated. That song has been um, going over and over my mind in preparation for today and through this morning. And um, yeah, as we're singing this together, it's an incredible confession. God, I need you. Every hour, every moment, Lord, I need you. What a beautiful place to be living in. Somebody on the outside might say, that's a needy bunch of people. And those of us who are on the inside say, yes. We recognize our need. God, help us never to not realize how much we need him. And he is present. Yeah, I so appreciate it. Again, the songs that we sang because we have that confident, confidence that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and that he is good and that we can trust him. So in that safety of, his, of who he is, the person of God, We can come to him and say, God, I need you, and I can trust you, I know that you are for me. So we want to encourage you to stay in that posture uh, through this service and then through this day and through this week and throughout your life, but specifically, let's just, I want to um, just say a prayer again just to specifically in this time right now that we would sense our need of God, we would reach out and allow him to minister to the need that each one of us has. God, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had to lift up your name in praise, to exalt who you are, Lord, to magnify you. God, we confess, Lord, that we need you. Even more than what we realize, God, we need you. And we ask that you would work a miraculous work in each one of of our lives. God, that you would continue to lead us to this place of confession and surrender where we will bring all to you and just express, Lord, wholeheartedly, God, I need you. And then, Lord, help us to allow you to minister to our need. And God, we pray this, Lord, because we know that you're desiring to do a a good work and a strong work in every single one of our lives. So God, I thank you for your infinite love for each one of us. God, that you love us and that you're with us, that you're desiring to do a significant work in each one of our lives. So God, we continue to confess Lord, we need you, and we continue to embrace you as the one who meets our need. God, may you be glorified, and we thank you, Lord, as we pray these things. We know that we are asking in accordance with your will for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is so good to be together and to worship the Lord together and now to soak in and take in his word together. So, again, we're just praying that God would help our hearts and our minds to be open to what he is desiring to speak to each one of us. Uh, We have an announcement now that we'd like to point your attention to, and the announcement is not for all of you. It's just for the ladies. So guys, you can listen in, but ladies, if you would please especially turn your attention to the screen and hear what is coming for you. And you tell me that's not going to change things. You tell me that that doesn't change things. A million women 
Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So the ladies are getting all excited and guys are like, oh man, that sounds good. I wish I... <laughs> well, we just got to be inspired by an incredible message. Wasn't that incredible? Um, but it's called If, If Gathering, and it's based on this question, if God is real, then what? If God is real, then what? And this has existed uh, as an annual gathering since 2014, has been growing as you've heard. And for the first time ever, uh, we're having it now locally here at Grace Fellowship. And it's uh, called If Gathering 2022. And um, it's going to be held on Friday, uh, the evening of Friday, April 22nd, and through the day on Saturday, the 23rd. And again, it's going to be here on site. And uh, it's going to be incredible speakers. There's, there's a huge list. In fact, I'm going to just point your attention, ladies, to this flyer. Uh, it's out in the lobby at uh, the information desk. And it's going to give you all the details uh, that you need to know. But it's, what it's doing is equipping, equipping women in discipleship, have tools to, uh, to go and make disciples, to be a growing disciple, one who is a follower of Christ, growing in faith. Uh, so it's an incredible time. Again, ladies, we want to invite you to come to it. The cost is $49, and that includes the evening session all day Saturday and breakfast and lunch on Saturday. Uh, now, there's another aspect to it that is open uh, to those that are interested. If you want to get uh, some time away, there's a block of rooms that have been reserved at the Hampton Inn Shrewsbury. So it, it, the getaway is a mile away, okay? So it's, it's close, uh, but it's an opportunity for you if you would like to, again, just have a separated time. Uh, rooms are blocked out for Friday and for Saturday. For those that are staying there, there's going to be an after party at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. So again, that's an option. Um, but ladies, we want you to prayerfully consider and uh, please uh, take the information, pray over it, over it, and then there's information there on how you can sign up to be part of it. Um, but boy, I'll tell you, the, the things that they're talking about, like addressing the mountains, the walls, the darkness, and the lies, boy, that's for all of us, right? You know, that through God, we have victory. And um, uh, so guys, we can just be praying to that end and let the ladies participate and carry the, uh, the victories back as we celebrate and walk in the same power and the same transformation as God is addressing the lies and the darkness, the mountains and the walls in our lives. Uh, so we have one other thing that I would like to point your attention to, and this is for everyone. And it's called Easter. Okay. Uh, so we have these cards uh, that are available, and it's an opportunity for you to share uh, the good news of what's coming, uh, the celebration of his resurrection, but prior to that, we are going to remember his death. Uh, so the information on the back of the card tells about our Good Friday service here on Friday evening, as well as our Easter services on Sunday morning. So this is an opportunity not just to hand a card or leave a card somewhere, but for you to invite and ask people to come with you. You know, say, hey, I'll meet you here. You know, uh, it, there's, it's a great way. This can bridge a gap and allow you to uh, possibly bring somebody in to hear the truth that has not heard how much God loves them and what he has provided for them through Jesus Christ. Uh, so we again look forward to what is going to be happening in this next couple weeks. Can you believe, guys, like Easter's two weeks away? I mean, time is going fast. <laughs> um, so let's make the use, uh, best use of every moment so we are continuing now in our journey through Genesis. And this journey, it's all about story. It's about God's story and our story. And I wanted to share a story with you that um, uh, has touched my life very deeply. Um, a number of times I know that I've shared about uh, my father's passing, which we're coming up this month, will be 24 years ago that my dad died. But I don't know how much I've shared about the process of what led to his passing. I just wanted to share a little bit of that story with you now. Uh, my father was diagnosed with kidney cancer, and he had one of his kidneys removed, and as far as we knew, we had, he had nine months of good health, and uh, things were, uh, were good. He was able to enjoy life, but then all of a sudden, um, there were some concerning symptoms, and we found out that the cancer had come back with a vengeance that spread throughout his body. And he had um, a very difficult road as far as treatments and things, and, uh, and then obviously, you know, he passed away from cancer. But there's beauty that I wanted you to see. I can only share with you parts of it. But like through my dad's battle with cancer, God was revealing himself in, in amazing ways. Uh, since we've been here at Grace, um, we heard testimony of how when my father would go into the, into the doctor's office that, that people could see joy in his life and light in his face. That, that the, the beauty of Christ was shining through him through those times. He went to, for treatment. 
we knew that, that, that God was using him and my mother like where they were in the waiting room with other people that were going through similar struggles. One of the things that stands out the most to me is, um, is beauty that we saw one night at their home. And my sister and I were at the house and it was late at night, it was uh, probably 11 midnight, somewhere in that range, and we heard my father from the room and, and we thought possibly he was calling out for, uh, for help, that he needed something because he wasn't able to get up and, and um, uh, provide, you know, get what he needed. So we went to the door and when we went to the door, we realized he wasn't, call, he wasn't calling out to us. He was calling on God. And he wasn't calling on God in intercession. He was calling on God in praise. He was in a lot of pain, but like we just heard this beauty of praise rising from his bed that was like just something I've, like I've never heard before from him. And my dad played instruments and sang, so we often heard him sing praises to the Lord, but I'm telling you what was pouring out of his, out of his heart and through his sick body was absolutely amazing. Like literally we felt like we were almost touching heaven because his, his praise and adoration of God was just so incredibly beautiful. You know, and I wanted to share that because like in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, God is desiring to shine an incredible light. Amen. That God is desiring like in those moments, not in spite of them, but through them, that God is desiring to shine this incredible light. And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, April 28th, it's gonna be 24 years since my dad passed. And I am confident that what we heard that night from that room is just a taste of what he's been doing for the last 24 years. That he's been in the presence of God and he's celebrating and he's adoring our creator and our savior. You know, so, um, so I wanna encourage you. We're gonna, as we walk through this chapter today, we're gonna see how God is desiring to speak to each one of our lives and speak through our lives in a way that, that displays the beauty and the grandeur of our God. So, this is about story, and last week we were continuing in the story of Noah, and Pastor Ben shared this message, and he went back to, um, to chapter seven and talked about how God had shut the door on the ark, and that Noah and his family and all those animals were in there, and, and how alone that may have felt, because you think about the world with hundreds of millions of people probably as far as the population, and now it's down to eight, and they're closed in in this ark. Ben shared from Psalm 13 and the cry of the psalmist, like, how long, O Lord? And when we're in places where we can feel alone and we can feel shut in, that cry is so real and so deep. And we're just, we're, we're longing for deliverance. And then at the beginning of chapter eight last week, looked at the words, then God remembered Noah. And we said that it wasn't that God, for, God forgot, we forget but yet God always remembers. But, but that word remembered actually means that, that it's moving toward. It's, it's God not, uh, not, again, recalling something he forgot, but it's seeing, and then he's moving toward, actively toward the person, moving on their behalf. And then we see that, uh, that again, at the proper time, the door was opened, and Noah and the animals left the ark. And in verse 20 of Genesis 8, Scripture says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. This was a declaration as Noah, again, prepared the altar and made sacrifices. And we're gonna look in this next chapter how the covenant, covenant of this declaration is established. But we were encouraged to, to build altars, to set, set aside times and places to be with the Lord. And specifically, prayer altars are something that, that we can have as part of our lives where it's this regular place and time that we can go and we can meet with the Lord and we're committed to, to just spend time in his presence, to read his word and to talk with him and let him talk with us. So this building altars is important. It's a place of remembrance. It's a place of being set aside and focusing on God. So as we move now into chapter nine, we're going to see um, how there's a fresh start, how there's a new beginning. And I wanted to share with you first this story that points back to beginnings. There were three people that were um, discussing 
what is the oldest profession? Now, some of you just like, antennas went up, it's like, oh, what's he going to say next? <laughs> it's not that. But these three men were discussing what's the oldest profession. One, one was a surgeon, and he said it had to be a surgeon because back in Genesis, we hear that God took a rib from Adam when he was creating woman. So it has to be a surgeon. Next person said, ah, no, 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 even older than that, has to be an engineer. He was, an, he, of course, he was an engineer. He said, you know, six days, God was creating order out of chaos. That's engineering, like, all over. I mean, this, so engineer has to be the oldest. The third was a politician. And he said, where do you think the chaos came from? <laughs> Winner. <laughs> so... I'm poking fun. I'm sorry for any politicians that are in here. It's not personal. Um, but, but we're actually going to be talking today about some governance that God establishes uh, right after the flood. We're going to be, be looking at that. That's part of what, uh, what the scripture is going to point us to. But, uh, but I trust, Lord, that through all this, that you're going to see God's rule and reign over all and see that God has a governance that cannot be shaken that God has established on high as ruler and, and, and the one who reigns over all, and we can trust his governance completely. Uh, so let's go to Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to be putting the verses up on the screens if you would like to read along, or you can look on your uh, devices or in your uh, Bible. So beginning with verse 1, Genesis chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. So the first part of this, of this text, when God's talking to Noah, it sounds familiar, and it should be, because it's back in Genesis 1.28, when God gave this uh, blessing and this release to, to uh, Adam and Eve, and it's to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so God is stating this again, and he's giving this now to Noah and to his family, because it's a fresh start. It's starting over, and God is, God is giving them the same blessing to, to again, be fruitful, be multi multiply, and fill the earth. Now, you'll think about this, and, and it literally is a restart. Like, we had, a, again, at the very beginning, we had generation. God created. Then there was degeneration with the fall. And now we have regeneration where it's a fresh start. Now, all of us come from the line of, line of Adam, but even more recently, we are all from the family of Noah because all of us, again, have come from the same, uh, same ancestry. So this command is a blessing. And when we look at this, that God is perpetuating life. And he's even, again, giving a blessing, saying children are a blessing of God. Now, some of you say, huh, you say children are a blessing. You haven't met mine. <laughs> Your children are a blessing, too. I know that you know that. But there are times that, that being a parent can be a struggle. And uh, just remember, you were a kid once, too. And you created the struggle for your parents. Um, but children are a blessing of the Lord. It's the, it's the perpetuation of life. It's a forward movement of God's creation. And I want to encourage you, those that have especially young children, but even for those of us that have adult children, is continue to encourage your kids in faith. You know, the, the world needs more Christian kids, people that stand on the word of God and believe the word of God and walk the word of God. They're world changers. And, uh, and God has entrusted you uh, with those uh, that, that he has blessed you with as children. But God then says something amazing. So God's perpetuating life. And now God is expanding man's diet. Literally. Okay, if you remember, in creation, God, God instructed uh, at the very beginning that, that what, is, what is free to be eaten is basically the plants, the things that bear seeds and fruit. So from the beginning, man, we, we're vegetarians. I mean, that's according to Scripture. That's, that's, that's what we read. Now God is saying, it's all free game or game that you hunt. So he's, he's taking, originally, again, man, were, they were herders or farmers, but now they become hunters um, with Noah. 
So man's given permission to eat meat. Now, it doesn't say you have to eat meat. If you choose to be a vegetarian, that's fine. But we also don't want to spiritualize things and say that if you're a Christian, you should be a vegetarian. Or if you're a Christian, God, you know, God's told you should eat meat. That's not what we're saying. But God's given permission to, to eat meat now. Now, the thing is, is that um, he also has a restriction with that. So he says, again, that, that, uh, that all is fine to eat. But the one restriction is that you don't, uh, don't eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Don't eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Now what happens is that moving forward, when we look at the law and the giving of the law, we're going to have more details that are giving, given a little bit later that talk about uh, the animal's blood being sacrificed. That, that blood is set apart to God. Okay, and that's the reason that, that God's giving this instruction. Now I know like some of you are thinking the same thing I've been thinking for days. What about a nice rare filet mignon? I've really been struggling with this. And I've read commentaries and nobody addresses it. Um, but but that, 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 that lifeblood is, yeah, well, you know, you can discuss that. Pray about it, I guess, and then decide whether or not you can still eat that. Um, but the lifeblood means really that, that that animal is no longer alive and the, the blood has been drained from the animal, okay? But God is setting apart and he's saying that, that, that blood is, is important. It's set apart because in blood is life. So now we move on to uh, verse five. Let's read the next three verses. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed for in in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So that verse seven is repeating. Again, verse one, it creates kind of a capsule of verses together. So, um, so Noah's already given instruction about not eating an animal with lifeblood in it. Now he's, spe- now he's speaking concerning humans and how um, humans have, uh, have a higher worth than all other created beings, okay? So... God, when he when it talks about the accounting, see how the word accounting is used? If you remember back when we looked at how um, God looked at mankind and he regretted, that word regretted, if you remember, was talking about, an, it was an accounting term that dealt with ledgers, that was looking at, at, at the credits and debits and checking out the balance. So that accounting term is brought into here. And, and he's saying, again, that, that there will be an accounting for lifeblood. I demand an accounting from every animal. And for human beings, I demand an accounting. So God is saying is that there's a ledger that, that you need to watch. Now, he's commissioning this to mankind. But he's saying that there is such a value in human life that this deserves not just special attention, but the highest attention. So I want us to look at that. And the reason that, that God has said this, he says that man is, is of such importance because man is created in the image of God. That puts us in a whole other category than all of other creation of all living things is that man is created in the image of God. I want to ask you this question. Have you recently looked at yourself and recognized that you are created in the image of God? Now, this what God is speaking is to all mankind. But have you looked at yourself and seen that you are created in the image of God? Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about um, the, the, the states of man. Now, again, man was perfect at creation, but man, man fell. But when man fell, still carried the image of God with him. When man is re- he's in a fallen state, but still has the image of God, when man is regenerated through the work of Christ on the cross, we become new creatures in Christ, but we still carry over that fallen man. But the image of God is still within us. And because of the image of God upon you, you need to see yourself as incredible value. And somebody needs to hear that. Amen. You have been created in the image of God. You need to see the incredible value of your life. Most important thing is how God sees us. I believe secondly is how we see us through God's eyes. So you are created in the image of God. You have incredible value. Second question, when we look at others, do we see that each and every person is created in the image of God? Can we carry this truth? Can we walk in the light of this truth? 
as I look around here, every single person, each one of you, is created in the image of God. And you have a value that goes beyond what these words can speak. Each and every single person, will we live in the light of this truth? Now what God does then is, as he establishes or clarifies or declares the value of human life, he then gives the governance to mankind. And this is scary, I understand this, but God knows what he's doing. That God gives the governance to mankind in this, and that with the flood, that was God's, God's act. He was bringing things into balance. Okay, he looked and he determined that the, that the flood needed to come and all these people needed to die because their hearts were against him and evil was, was everywhere. And God spared, in that, spared Noah and his family. But now, God says this, in verse six, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. I know this sounds, sounds against maybe what you may feel as Christian, but like God has established right here capital punishment. And he has given that responsibility to man. And he said, you are, you are told right now that you must keep things in balance in this way. That if a person takes another person's life, that person's life is to be taken. Now, that is a loving God who is saying this because, because he knows the value and he knows how the value of life must be maintained. So human government is established here. Now, if you want to read more, I would encourage you to go to uh, the latter part of Romans chapter 12 and the first part of Romans chapter 13 where it talks about how we are to function individually and how we are to understand government is to function. And when it's on a personal level, you know, we are told to make sure that we forgive and to allow God to take vengeance, that we need to guard ourselves how we interact. So again, we are not to exercise the justice in this regard. But he says in, in, in uh, 13.4, Romans 13.4, that the sword belongs to the government, that the government has been instituted to help create order. Now, understand that government is far from perfect, but yet government has been instituted by God for man's good. And even when, it, when it's abused and even when, when we look at government and we see chaos within governments around the world, government is still established by God in order for there to be order among mankind. Now even when Romans was written, this was under the Roman Empire, and there were rulers that were horrible and were mistreating the Jews and mistreating so many people. But God still holds on to the institution that he established as far as government. He doesn't say that they do everything right. But yet there is a submission to government that we are all to have. We're to be praying for those that are in rule over us. Now here's the thing, that there's another, another government at work that under God's rule, it's perfect government. But yet we remember God's rule was in the garden, but then man submitted to another government to a government of the enemy, which is based on lies. So this is the establishment of government, but we want to come to this one place as a foundational point throughout this part of Scripture, is that all human life is precious to God, and it should be to us. That all human life is precious to God, and it should be to us. Now, I want you to, actually it's a sad look, but I want us to look together at how our culture views life, the value of life. And I've been thinking about this and, and honestly I went to a place that has been convicting for me and I'm, I feel that I use uh, very significant discretion in regards to what entertainment I allow you know, my mind to take in, my eyes to see. But yet I, I'll just challenge you with how I'm being challenged in this. How many murders do I watch voluntarily? I'm asking me, and I just invite you to ask, how many murders do I watch voluntarily? I don't know what the numbers might be as far as statistically, how many times we see the taking of one life by another in our entertainment, but it has to be astronomical. And and I'm starting to have significant concern about this because how does that affect my view on the value of life? Please 
Don't hear me throwing stones. I'm throwing them up and they're landing on me, okay? Like, our culture has devalued life to such a great extent. You know, it used to be thousands of years ago, you would, have to, you would go to a coliseum or something and, and watch horrendous things. Now we don't need to go there. We don't have to leave our living room or we just have our device in our hand. But the value of life is being literally thrown away. How do we value life that is in the womb? Over 60 million unborn babies have been killed in the past number of decades. It's the value of life. Now, if you've had an abortion, you've participated in abortion, hear this, is that God forgives. God forgives. The sin is we confess, God forgives, and that sin is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. But yet as a culture, what are we doing to the value of life? Euthanasia is legal in a number of states, but there's this ongoing discussion of how quality of life should determine the value of life, and it is wrong. God values all life, and he's calling us to value all life as well. Will we respond in obedience to him? And there's another way that the value of life is being diminished more and more. We see this in our culture, but unfortunately, culture impacts us. And if you go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, we're talking about murder. And Jesus addresses the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And here's what he says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a term of contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus takes the commandment against murder and now he says, let's look at how you treat one another. Will you look at how you speak to one another and the contempt that comes so naturally? This is wrong. And Jesus is saying, value life. Value life the way that I do. This speaks conviction, I trust to all of us, because I believe that we all, I know we all need to hear the word of God and ask God to apply this God to my life. Help me when I hear these words and I read your word to say, God, I need you because I'm falling short. And God, by the power of his spirit, will come afresh into us. Allow his light to shine in us, to reveal so that he will bring healing. He is desiring to do that very thing. Move on to verse eight. Genesis nine, verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, this is not the first time covenant is used, but this is the first time that we have a recording of a covenant uh, that's, that's stated as a covenant. Back in Genesis 6.18, covenant is used because God says, I will establish my covenant with you. He's saying this is coming. Now God is establishing that covenant. Now, covenant is, is I've looked for definitions and, and um, there, there are many out there. A covenant, though, just to understand, is beyond what a contract is. Okay, a covenant, and this is a definition that I've, I've, I've put together here and, and it's still, it, it's, it's broad, it encompasses, and yet I feel like it's still lacking, so I'm still working on this. But a covenant is a chosen relationship in which binding promises are made. A chosen relationship in which binding promises are made. So again, it has a similarity to a contract, but, and it may or may not have stipulations with it for both parties. But uh, uh, to give you an example, marriage is a covenant relationship. It's based, on, it's based on relationship and it's promises that are to be kept. That is by God's design. That, it, that, is, that is what he is calling us to do. We can only keep that by his power. 
by his strength. And when we fail at keeping covenants, again, God forgives and he comes alongside of us and lifts us up that we can walk in his way. But we're now looking at this covenant that God establishes with Noah. And in the covenants of God, obviously, um, when we talk about marriage, it's people that are on an even level. But here we're talking about the covenant of the all-powerful, all-sovereign being over the universe, making covenants with mankind. So we have this covenant that he makes with Noah. But he makes it with Noah and with all living beings. And the beings that, that are, are said are those that, again, that were on the ark with him and, um, or, and with his family. But these beings are actually uh, carried over even into Revelation. That around the throne there are four living creatures. That they are constantly worshiping God and declaring the holiness of God. And there are four faces that are on, the, on those, those four creatures. It's the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of a, a, of a calf, and the face of an eagle. And in those creatures, we can see those that God is even making covenant with here. We're, obviously, man is with humankind. Lion is with, with wild beast. Then we have the calf, which would be livestock and cattle, and the, and the eagle, which represents birds. And God is making the covenant that, is, again, is committed to all of these, guaranteeing this, that never again will the earth be covered with water. Never again will flood take out mankind in the way that it was just experienced. So we want to look at this and see that God, is, God pursues man through covenant. That God pursues man through covenant. He's saying, I'm coming here to you and I'm speaking my word and my word is sure and you can depend on it. So God is pursuing us through covenant. There are many covenants. In fact, again, this is the first time that covenant is used in the Bible, but, but many scholars believe that, that, again, it was covenant that happened in the garden with Adam and with Eve. That was a conditional covenant. There's both a conditional and unconditional covenant. That was a conditional covenant because that covenant is that you can have all of this, but you must not. So it's basically uh, you stay if you obey, okay? But man broke that covenant because they did not follow what God had, had stated. So there are conditional and there are unconditional covenants. This covenant with Noah is unconditional. He's saying just never again, period. Regardless of man, what man does, even though man again is against me and, and desires to do his own thing, never again, unconditional covenant. But then covenants go through scripture. You see it with Adam, with Moses, with David. And ultimately we come, and we're gonna talk about this later, to the new covenant, the covenant that we have through Christ. So again, the promise is that the world will never be uh, destroyed by flood. However, there is another day coming and another destruction coming. And God's word is true. In fact, Jesus declared that, that heaven and earth may pass away, but my word endures forever. We can trust and we can know and can stand on God's word. But in 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 10, the, the apostle tells us that this, that there will be another day of destruction. And he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. So while the earth was spared through the flood, which could be a form of baptism, there is a judgment of fire that is coming that there will be a day when this world and the heavens as we know it will be no more. For those that are in Christ, we have nothing to fear. For our home is with God. We have a place of dwelling that goes beyond what we can comprehend. For those who do not know God, there is eternal judgment. That is our choice of what, what our eternity will be. So there will be a day, but it will be fire and not of water. We go on to verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So God has made the covenant with man and now he gives a sign. He uses a symbol. He said this rainbow is the sign of my covenant that I've just established. Incredible thing. Now again, scholars have some disagreement. Uh, some believe that there was never rain on the earth prior to the flood. 
Uh, some feel that scripture doesn't necessarily say that. But if there was never any rain, then there was never any rainbow. And if there, so this may have been the very first rainbow that's ever been seen. We don't know that, but it may have been the first rainbow that's ever been seen. And God says, this is my sign. This is my covenant. Now, just so you know, um, as I prepare for messages, I do Google. Okay. Interesting. So I wanted to find out some things about rainbow. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in, in just a few minutes. But one of, the, one of the searches brought up this incredible fact. It's, it's unusual. April 3rd, today, is National Find a Rainbow Day. <laughs> it's there, okay? Like, I tried to find history and see if, the, if it's, it's not a government holiday, obviously. Um, but regardless of the day of the week, April 3rd, for some time, I don't know how long, uh, but April 3rd is Find a Rainbow Day. So I thought, well, it's some of God's humor. I thought, um, so you're finding your rainbow today in the message. Um, but, but this rainbow is absolutely incredible. Established by God to be a covenant sign and a symbol. Now, I looked through some pictures, and honestly, I really couldn't find anything that, a picture that captured, captures what I experience and what I'm sure that you experience when you see a rainbow. But I want you to picture in your mind's eye a rainbow or rainbows that you have seen. Why don't you just think about it? Absolutely amazing. Awe-inspiring. Marvelous. It's, it's peaceful. It, it just, there's so much to me that, that a rainbow speaks because it's like, honest, you know, it's, it seems so fragile, but yet it makes such a, a bold, peaceful statement. You know, and you can think about the different types of rainbows that you've seen. Some that, that are barely visible, and yet they're beautiful. You know, some that are extremely vivid colors that are just outstanding. And then there's the double rainbow. I mean, like just absolutely amazing. But this is the sign that God gives connecting to his covenant. Absolutely incredible what God has done. And the Hebrew word that is translated rainbow is the same Hebrew word that, that is translated bow as far as in like a, a weapon of war. Same word, rainbow and bow, the same Hebrew word. And there are uh, theologians, obviously, that, that have given a couple different interpretations to this. One is that, that God hung his bow in the sky. He hung up his, his, that, that battle weapon saying never again. Another thing that I read is that some theologians look at it and say, well, look at where the bow is pointed and that bow is pointing toward heaven, where God took the punishment for us. So there's, there's beauty in the symbolism. The rainbow is an incredible thing. But what has our culture done with the rainbow? I've really struggled with this for a while. Because I know what God established and I know what he created this rainbow to be. And it hurts me personally. It was back in the late 70s that the rainbow flag was created. It was, ordered, it was created to be a statement of pride uh, in support of the gay community. It's gone through different iterations. There were, uh, there were different colors that were actually in that flag that's changed over the years. Um, but it's, it's expanded to, as far as I know, it's an it's a international universal symbol for LGBTQA+, to, to the, the lifestyle, to the community. And I struggle with that because I know what God established the rainbow to be. And for anybody that may be living that lifestyle or you're supportive of that lifestyle, please don't hear hate. There's no hate in this at all. But we believe strongly in what the Bible says as far as the lifestyle that God, what God has designed, how God has designed for man to live. And this rainbow as it's used today is not representing 
life as God has created us to live. But hear this, is that we understand that often the term used is love is love. There's something that is of infinitely higher truth, and it's that God is love. And that God loves us, yes, he loves us where we are, He loves us enough not to leave us where we are when where we are is not what's best for us. And God is reaching out in love and we desire to always reach out in love wherever anybody is because we have all been in a place where our lives have not been in alignment with what God has designed but God in love has reached to us. And God is desiring to lift us and to draw us to himself and for us to define life or to, to experience and to live life the way that God has defined it to be because God is our creator and he knows what is best for us and he is desiring for us to walk in the freedom and the fullness of life that he has created us to live. So, you know, honestly, I've been, I've been struggling with this because I, I want to see the rainbow as God has made it. And part of what God is helping me to do is to, when I see a flag now, is that I'm seeing the grace of God for all who will receive it. And I'm seeing the provision for God for all who will step under his covering. And God is desiring for us to see a beauty that can only be found as we look to him and embrace the fullness of what he has given to us in Christ. Living life the way that he has designed us to live. And this rainbow has led me to a verse that speaks to every one of us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, I won't be putting this on the screen, but it's 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. The apostle says this, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As, let me read it again. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You say, where's rainbow in that, Mark? Well, that word manifold, the manifold grace of God, that word manifold actually means many colored or varied. So we want to look at this that, to see the manifest grace of God that is offered to all. So that means that God has created each one of us uniquely. He's given us gifts and he desires for each, for each of us to minister to one another in order for, the, for a, a very display, multicolored display of God's grace to be seen. And this is absolutely incredible because it helps us to understand in, in, a, in a fuller way the beauty of the body of Christ. That we all, are all made uniquely We're all made and we have experiences that that are unique to us and as we allow God to shine through us, there's this beauty that is seen. So let me explain and and, um, it's been a long time since I had a physics class and this is physics. So just so you know, um, YouTube taught me this and I think I found an accurate video um, because I had to go back on on light refraction and reflection and all that. So I'm going to try to explain to you, hopefully this is all accurate, but want you to see how the rainbow is formed, why we see the colors that we see in a rainbow. So white light is all of the color spe- visible color spectrum together. Okay, so when you have a drop of water and white light comes into that drop of water, there's a refraction. When it's at a certain angle, there's a refraction, which is a bending of that light wave. And when that, that white light hits the, the, um, that, that drop of water, the light bends and it separates colors into the color spectrum that we see. So that's how the the white light enters, the refraction causes it to separate, it bounces, it reflects off the back of the water drop and then comes out the front again, refracting once again. So that's that's how white light hitting water drop then produces the multicolors that we see in a rainbow. And I know, I grew up Roy G. Biv, right? Remember that? Did you know that they're not even having indigo in it anymore? They say it's not really there. So it's now Roy G. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you say it. But, but anyhow, it's, it, those colors, it's, it's beautiful, but it's, it's, it's scientific. It's, that's what's happening. That it's the, the refraction and the reflection of light. How does that affect you and me? 
How does that point to the manifest grace of God? So this picture of the light of God bringing beauty out of a storm can resonate strongly in our lives. And when we go through difficult times, we often call them the storms of life. The rain is necessary if we're going to see a rainbow. But what happens is the rainbow is produced because of the rain interacting with the light. And God is desiring for our lives, even as I shared that story with my dad at the beginning, God is desiring to take the storms of our lives and allow his light, for us to allow his light to shine into our storms so that the beauty of the manifest grace of God will be shining out from our lives. Now, storms happen, right? We all experience storms. That's a given. But will we allow the light of the Son of God to shine into us and on us so that his grace will shine from us? And this is the way that God is desiring to take the storms and to bring good out of it. God's faithfulness, his light is always present if we'll just have eyes to see. Something that was unique that I, didn't, I never thought about, I never, it just never crossed my mind, but, but when, when we see rainbows, we're seeing something unique to us because we're seeing how that light is reflecting off that, those water droplets and coming to us specifically. So when we're standing there, it's like we're seeing it's half of, a, of like a cone that we're witnessing. So what that means is that as I'm standing and I'm, if I see this rainbow, this person standing over here is seeing their unique representation of that rainbow because of the way the light's, re, light's reflecting. So I never realized that. We're, yes, we may see the same rainbow, but we have a unique perspective and a uni, unique vantage point by God's des, scientific design. And the reality is, is that as we go through life, we have this unique place that God places us so that we can receive his light in a unique way and we can show his light, his grace, his manifold grace in a unique way. You are important, going back to you have great value. You've been created in the image of God and God is desiring for his image to flow through you. And sad to say, it's often through a storm. It's not that God moves in spite of the storm. He moves through the storm. And he is moving, his light is shining so that his beauty may be seen in you and be seen as a testimony to others. When I think of the awesome rainbow, the marvelous rainbow that we talked about earlier, looking in the sky, I can look at life after life after life and see an even greater beauty as God is shining through storms. We can go through scripture and see Stephen, the first martyr in the first, in the first church. He's being, he's being killed and his face is shining. We can go through Old Testament and New and see how lives in great tragedy and struggle Radiate the beauty of God. And then we could go around this room and have very, very similar testimonies of the beauty of God shining through. Will we allow him to take our storm and produce the beauty of his goodness through us? Verse 16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. We see the rainbow, but God sees it too. And God says, I will see it and remember. Remember about remember? It's not that he's forgotten, but that's speaking of him moving toward us on our behalf, acting in our good. We're talking about covenant, God establishing his covenant. We see through the Old Testament covenants that God has established with mankind. But we see in the New Testament the culmination of all covenants, the fulfillment of all things, and it comes through Jesus Christ.
that we are given the new covenant through Christ. His promise that's based on this relationship. And that promise is absolutely beautiful beyond what we can comprehend. And this covenant is what we're going to look at now. Not just look at, but we're going to look at symbols, signs of his covenant. We're going to receive communion. And if you um, have not picked up the elements when you're walking in, if you would uh, please raise your hand and, and elements will be brought to you. But just please hold your hand up until you receive the elements. Um, there are those that have baskets and will come to you. And as they're doing that, we want to prepare our hearts to receive the elements of communion. We believe in an open communion, which means there's not membership required. It's not about a church organization. But communion is open to all people who have accepted, have received the work of Jesus Christ and are made alive in Christ. So if you have accepted Christ in your heart and, and his sacrifice has been applied to your sin and you've been forgiven, you're welcome to join with us. If you have not, this is an opportunity for you to step into life and receive the fullness of life that God is offering you. It's as simple as this. We sang the song, I Need You. The reality is that every single one of us need God because we are lost without him. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God and the penalty for sin is death. But Jesus Christ came to earth he lived a sinless life, performed miracles. He taught the truth of God, lived an absolutely perfect life. But when he gave his life on the cross, he who, was, who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ didn't die for his sin. He never sinned. He died for the sin of mankind, for all of us. So our penalty was taken upon himself. But the thing is, is that, that never, we don't step into this new covenant until we understand that, until we receive that, until we acknowledge that Jesus, you died for my sin and I'm receiving your covering, I'm receiving your sacrifice, I'm receiving your death in, replace, in place of my own death. And when we, re we receive that work and apply that work to our lives, we're receiving eternal life. That we move from death to life, from darkness to light, and we become his. It's not just a prayer that gets us, it's, a, it's not a get out of hell card kind of thing. It's, it's understanding what Jesus did and giving our lives to him, that his life would now live in us and through us. And if you have not yet applied the work of Christ to your life, we wanna invite you to do that now. I'm gonna say a prayer before we receive these elements and, and uh, scripture says it's, it's as simple as believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he has taken that penalty for us. So I would invite you to, uh, to go before God right now and allow him to do a great work in your life. God, we thank you, Lord. God, for you. God, that you value life to the extent, not just that you protect life, you call us to protect life, but you value life so much that you gave your life for us. Jesus, that you spilled your blood, God, as the perfect sacrifice, the payment for the penalty of our sin. God, we acknowledge, Lord, that apart from you, we are lost, we are dead, we are not yet alive, even though we live physically. But Jesus, we thank you that through your death and through your resurrection, we have the gift of eternal life. As we understand and we, as we receive this sacrifice, we thank you that we are made new, God, that we are created to be new creations in you, that the old is gone, the, the new has come. And we live not for ourselves, but for you. So God, right now, for anyone who has not yet received that life, we pray, God, for them, that, that each one, Lord, would reach out and receive this full provision and step into the life that you have created us to live. God, for those of us, Lord, that are walking in this newness of life, Lord, we just want to, again, acknowledge and say thank you God, for doing and for being what we cannot do and what we cannot be on our own. Jesus, thank you for paying that ultimate price that we can have life and life eternal. So now as we receive of these elements, God, we pray that you would help these symbols of the new covenant, Lord, to impact us deeply. 
that we, as we receive, that we would worship you, we would adore you and give thanks for, for all that you have done, for who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So these are symbols that Jesus gave to us to celebrate, proclaim, and declare his death until he comes. He was with his disciples. It was just before he was giving his life. He was sitting with the one who would betray him. He was sitting with a disciple who would deny him three times. He was sitting with those that would abandon him. And he said, here is my offering for you. So praise be to God, is that God loves us in our failings, in our shortcomings, and he says, here is my life given for you. So as we receive, we would receive his gift of life to us. If you would want to peel back and get the bread. As we look back, Scripture says that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he said what this bread now is. He said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Eat this, take this, in remembrance of me. And as we remember, we remember how God remembers, we're moving toward, we're actively moving toward him. Let's receive of the bread together. Jesus, we thank you for the body, your body that was given for us, the perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you, Lord. And then scripture says that in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And listen to this. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, life is in the blood. And his blood, which is perfect, was poured out for you and for me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you that through your death we have life. We thank you that your blood was spilled so that we could have eternal life. God, and we thank you that you live within us, that your spirit resides within us. And we just want to give ourselves back to you in worship and praise and adoration, not just in words, but in our living. So God, help us, Lord, to embrace life with the value that you have for life. God, we pray that you would help us to receive and walk in the fullness of your word, for your word has been, has been spoken and your word is truth and is life. And God, we pray, Lord, that your grace would flow through us. God, wherever we are, whether in times of struggle or times of ease, God, we pray that your light and your life would be reflected from our lives so that others would see and come to know you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your full provision through Jesus Christ. Everyone says, amen, amen. Just before we sing a closing song together, I wanted to read this morning's New Morning Mercies. And I want to invite you into what Paul David Tripp um, shares with us here, his declaration. He says this, I have been liberated, set free, and given new life, new hope, new motivation, and new peace of heart and mind. I have not been freed from the authority of another, I have not been freed to walk my own way, to write my own rules, or to do what I choose. No, I have been given the best of freedoms. I have been freed not from God's rule, but from my bondage to me. Following, obeying, serving, submitting to God is the thing that I was created to do. So it is the place where true freedom is to be found. Rebellion never gives life. Self-rule never brings freedom. So grace has worked to rescue me from me so that I can know the true freedom of serving him. Let's um, stand and worship to our God and once again sing out this declaration of our need for God.